You're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. Um, how many of you are um, mature enough to have attended a little church in the Wildwoods? Anybody? I did, man. I did. I, I, I'm, that, I'm that young. We had a, a little church. You went up a little, it was in North, the, uh, just the Piedmont area. A little more than that. It's, uh, it wasn't Piedmont, Piedmont as in, um, I mean, I could see Grandfather Mountain. You heard of Grandfather Mountain? I mean, I could see Grandfather Mountain from our backyard. That's how close we were, you know, to the mountains. We weren't in the mountains, but just 20 minutes we could be there, 20 miles. And uh, we, my dad pastored a little church, a little Wesleyan church, and we went up a little incline, and there was a little field, and the church was set next to the woods there in the field. And it's very nostalgic. And uh, anytime I go there, which now the church is, uh, uh, it's no longer that church anymore. It's something else. But uh, uh, anytime I go there back in the past, uh, and I would try to either speak or sing, the emotion would be so raw, I couldn't hardly do it. You know, just because I was nurtured there. I was given lots of candy there. And... Uh, this really rich love there, and I was taught uh, that Merle Montby was my uh, first and second grade Sunday school teacher, Montby. Can you say that, Montby? You ever heard that name before? Probably not. But she was a great Sunday school teacher. She'd have us singing, and us boys would try to outsing the girls, which was not possible. And, uh, but uh, just great memories of time there in the church in the Wildwoods. Thank you, Johnny. And uh, good stuff. Well, uh, I'm going to say some things today that might be hard for you to hear, but it's okay. Uh, you need to hear it. Just because something's hard to hear doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be said. Is that correct? My mama said something like that to me on more than one occasion, and almost always she was right. And it could be that although what I might say might be hard for you to hear, it could possibly be that I might just might be right. And uh, so what I say, I will say with care and with conviction and with the utmost uh, awareness that I'm speaking to the people of God and the house of God uh, from the place where the things of God are spoken of. So I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture which... I'm only going to read a verse, which I've read at least two other times in the last six weeks. And this is the last sermon uh, of this particular series we've been on about uh, uh, the eschaton. And I thought that would just bless your socks for me to say it that way. That's why I said it. Or the end. And uh, so the passage I want to read. Now, this particular passage is repeated in Mark and in Luke. But Matthew gives the, 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 the bigger exposition of it, and so we're going to go, we're going to be with Matthew, but we'll touch on Luke and Mark as well, because they all are talking about the same thing. It is a sermon of Jesus, and uh, it is called, it has come to be known as the Olivet Discourse. Now, it's not talking about Olivet Nazarene University. We have any Olivet people in here? Not that Olivet. Uh, the, the, the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of the old city of, well, the city of Jerusalem, and uh, if you uh, looked out to the east from the, from the city of Jerusalem, you would see the mountain there, the Mount Olives. And it's a significant uh, mark 
in Israel's history um, and, uh, and on the east side of the temple. And so Jesus is there on Mount of Olives and he gives this, what is called the Olivet Discourse or this, the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. Um, it is not the Sermon on the Mount, but he is dealing with, with uh, his second coming. And so that's what we're going to talk about. The sign, and we've been talked about signs, the sign of the second coming of Jesus. And uh, I know that that gathers a bit of attention uh, across the world and in literature and in TV. Um, so it's interesting that John does not, the Gospel of John does not include this discourse. Of course, he's not part of the synoptics. The synoptics uh, t- tend to repeat the stories and give it from different angles. John doesn't deal with it. The focus of, now, okay, now, Try to stay engaged with me, because what I'm going to say is, is real important. I mean, I've thought about it long and long, and I kept this sermon for this day at the end, because I needed to lay down some groundwork before we get to this point, and I've already spent a bit of time talking about the signs of the times, and we have uh, generally misused that statement. Uh, the signs of the times we have generally used to mean signs of the end of time, which was not anything what Jesus was talking about when he said that. Okay, he wasn't talking about that. Now, I know you've heard that like a thousand times for a hundred years. So it's hard to unlearn that, something you've heard that long over and over, and then relearn it in a different kind of way. So when we say signs of the times, he wasn't talking about, when, he talk, when, he, when the words are used, he's not even talking about the end of time, he was talking about the time in which we're in. To be able to recognize the movement of God in the time that we're in. That's what he's talking about, and that's far more important for you and me. Because we need to recognize what is God doing right here, right now, in the life I'm living. That's far more important. It just really is. Because if you're thinking over there and you're not aware of God's movement right here, right now, in front of you, you're not going to be ready when that time comes. So to be able to recognize the time uh, is one of them. And then um, there was a second phrase. And for whatever reason, I spent so much time on the first phrase. What was the second phrase? Anybody can, anybody can remember? Signs of the times and the end of days. You know, people use that phrase. Well, we're in the last times. And so what they mean is we're in the last time right before Jesus comes back. But I tried to lay out you, scripture by scripture, line by line, that the last days begin with Jesus. So you really can authentically say we're in the last days. But you need to understand when you say that, that since Jesus came into the world, we've been in the last days. Okay? Okay, so that's just the truth of the matter. So I I I hope that you don't stumble over that. But now you may stumble over the next thing I say. But I'll be very careful, and my door is always open for you to ask follow-up questions or whatever, but I will try to lay it down very carefully so that you can at least see what I'm, what I'm saying, uh, whether it's scriptural or not. And um, so the, fir- the focus of the discourse that Jesus has given on the Mount of Olives is one to give the focus of it, the focus of what he's trying to say and I think if you'll read this with, with maybe understanding and putting some, uh, maybe try to hear some of what I'm trying to say into your reading of it, uh, that you might be able to capture this, is that he is trying to give them admonition. Admonition is what? What is admonition? Knowledge or instruction. 
That's what an admonition. I admonish you. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm, give, I'm telling you this for your good. So he's giving them admonition or instruction. I'm telling you these things. And also to encourage them. Admonition and encouragement. His focus, his focus is not to predict the end of the world. That wasn't the focus of what he's trying to say in Matthew chapter 24. Notwithstanding that Matthew chapter 24 is generally used to try to project the end of time and the future. Now he does touch on it, but it is not the focus of it. Because, I mean, why would he do that when he had already told us, don't think about that, don't go there, don't be dabbling there, because you don't know. But we go dabble there anyway, because we've been trained to dabble there, notwithstanding what Jesus said. Can I get an amen? That's a hard, it wasn't a very strong amen. That was like a, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that helps me move right along. Okay, so... You have to put yourself in the context of what, what the disciples are experiencing when they are writing these words. We know that Jesus died at 33 years of age. And uh, so, his, 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 uh, so the Gospel of Mark, which is probably most scholars believe is the first Gospel that was written, the Gospel of Mark was written around 65 to 75 A.D., so Jesus was crucified at 33 A.D., so we're just talking 35 years later. So Mark is writing his gospel, and he's re remembering, and he's probably remembering the stories, and he's being inspired by the Spirit because these, this, this, this word of the Lord is going to be communicated to his church throughout the ages, throughout the centuries. And so it's, it's real important to, to understand that what is happening at the time that Matthew and Mark and Luke are writing these Gospels. They aren't writing them in a vacuum. They're writing... So, so if I say 65 to 75 A.D., what is happening in, in Jerusalem about that time historically? It's being destroyed. Come on now. So, so, so this is why the, 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 the disciples are writing words of admonition and of encouragement and hope. Because they're, what they understood about the world and how the world worked and how theology worked and how God involved himself in the world was literally being destroyed. Jeru uh, this, uh, we, history tells us that the Roman general Titus, uh, 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 because of a rebellion, the Maccabean rebellion that had sprung up because of... of uh, of, of great wickedness that the, the Gentiles had brought into Jerusalem, there has been a great revolt, and Rome had decided enough is enough. So Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Jesus had already predicted that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed some 40 years earlier. So it, Titus shows up with a big army, and this is the thing. It's about the time of the Passover, and you know at the time of the Passover, Jews from all over the area make their way to Jerusalem. It was a high and holy day. It was a day when they, they really celebrated, they commemorated God's acts in history at Jerusalem. They always prayed, they always hoped that they could celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. It is now uh, Jews from all over the region are making their way, their pilgrimage, if you will, to Jerusalem. Now just how crafty Titus was. He wasn't a Roman general for nothing. 
He was crafty, he was smart, he was a general, he was a warrior. And so he let every pilgrim that were on their way. Now see, somebody like you or me would go, you ain't going to Jerusalem, go back home. Now, he was much more crafty than we are. He said, yeah, 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 go ahead, go on in Jerusalem. And what he did, he had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Jews coming from all over the region, coming to their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was packed with pilgrims, Jews from all over the area. And he let them go in, but he wouldn't let them come out. So that they would use up the resources of Jerusalem faster and starve them to death. So he laid a siege to Jerusalem. Let anybody want to go in, go in. You can't come out. And they ran out of stuff pretty quickly. It was a horrible time. And thousands and thousands of Jews were killed. 100,000 put on crosses lining the streets. It was a horrible, horrible time. The early disciples, the early disciples, the early followers of Jesus had been told that he's coming back. This was the message. He's gone into heaven. We saw him go with our own eyes. We're not, we're not telling you some fanciful fable. We saw him. We touched him. We talked with him. We saw him walk on the water. We saw him take fish and bread and feed 10,000. We saw these things with our own eyes. We saw him raised from the dead. He has ascended to heaven, but he is coming back. So you can imagine. Some, it might be something analogous like, like this. Like, for instance, if you, you, uh, how many of you were alive when the Twin Towers were hit? How many of you saw the second plane hit the building? So, so many of you. So do you remember that horrific feeling that hit you in the gut of the stomach when you saw that happening? And you saw the smoke engulfing the city of, of New York? And you saw people running for their lives? And you saw people falling out of buildings? And you were like, oh my goodness. Oh my God, I say that respectfully. What is going on? What is happening? Well, multiply that like maybe ten times. Uh, we, we were disconcerted. We, we were like concerned. We were like nervous when we saw a plane hit like a, 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 a big building. But it might be more like a nuclear bomb went off in New York City. Uh, an airplane flew into the Capitol building and exploded it into 10 million pieces and the White House is demolished. It might be something like that. And we would go, oh my God, what has just happened? So when the Jews learned that Jerusalem is being destroyed stone upon stone, and this temple is being destroyed stone upon stumple, st stumple, stone upon stone. That's what they're saying. Oh my God, what is happening? Because see, for us, New York is New York. It's, it's, it's a city, it's a state, it's a geographical location. But Jerusalem was the holy city, the temple where was God met with, with men. So if that's gone away, where is God going to go? It's a whole different kind of meaning. So their world really is crumbling. The world that they understood, the world that they knew, is crumbling all around them. So Jesus says uh, in his sermon, which, are, which is now some 30, some 35 years later, being written and recorded for us uh, through his disciples, he, he, they communicate to us that Jesus said things like this, Take heed, beware, be alert, don't be alarmed, don't be anxious, don't worry, pray, watch, keep awake, be on your guard. Those are statements just pulled out of those three Gospels that the, 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 the apostles share with us about the times in which they are living. 
not only for what they are living, but the times in which you I, and I are also living because these gospels have been handed down generation after generation to the various people who have suffered various things throughout life. And throughout the generations, the people of God say, where are you, Lord? When are you coming back? Because the people who they were writing to, the apostles, were facing many dangers, toils, and snares. As I said a minute ago, thousands of thousands have been put to death. So what Jesus has done, now pay close attention. Uh, I'll probably say that four or five more times. Because I, I know how it is when you're sitting there and the lights are down. Flick us on one level of lights. Um, because if it gets too comfortable in here, you know the old synapses stop firing. <laughs> the old brain begins to shut down. And this is real important. I, at least I, I, feel like it, I feel like it is. So now, this will, now I've said this in a, in a certain kind of way. I'm going to say it again. The events that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 24. The, uh, uh, he, he mentions several. Let me see if I can find them real quick. Um, well, I don't see them in my, in my notes, but um, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be war, there'll be pestilence, there'll be famine, and these kinds of things. When Jesus describes these things, and in fact, the Goth writers use that word, these things. They, they use that word. When, when you see these things, all of these things must happen before the end comes. And the Gospel writers describe, they describe the destruction of Jerusalem. And it's very uh, important that, that they understand these things. Because what, what Jesus is telling them, and he's warning them that these kinds of things are going to happen. But you must resist the speculation of guessing when Jesus is coming back. He says these things will happen or they must happen. In one place he says these are the beginnings of earth pains, of, of birth pains. They are moving us toward the end, but they are not signs of the end. Wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, earthquakes in various places, and all these kinds of things that we have commonly used to describe the approaching of the end. Well, if you want to look over a 2,000-year 2000 year period of history, yes, then we are approaching the end. But it doesn't mean the end is imminent. Because they have been happening since pretty much the beginning of time. But particularly after Christ ascended and he said, I'm coming back, these things are going to happen. Resist speculating about the end. That is what he's trying to say to them. Resist speculating. Something as, as, as uh, astonishing, something as earth-shaking, something as cataclysmic as Jerusalem being destroyed, something as, as terrible as, as the temple being torn down, one stone upon the other, even that is not a sign of the end. So resist the speculation. 
So Matthew, particularly, makes a clear distinction between these things, wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. He makes a distinction between these things and the end of the age. Let me read you this passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, tell us, because they had heard him talk about these things before, tell us, when will this happen? The destruction of, of Jerusalem and of the temple. When will this happen? And Okay, so that's one question. When will these things happen? And, distinction, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What will be the sign that these things are coming? Tell us when these things are coming. And, delineation, delineation, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The word that is translated for us, the coming of Christ, comes from a word in the, uh, out, of, out of the Greek New Testament, which means the appearing. So it's, it's kind of, it's a very, very uh, similar kind of word. So if you come into the room, you appear into the room. But there is a subtle difference between the words. For instance, when Jesus appeared among the disciples, when they were in the in the house, with the door shut and the window shut, out of fear for the Jews, he appeared among them. It's that, it's that understanding. It's not like he took a journey. He appeared. He, he showed up. That's kind of that's the deal. It's not like, you know, out beyond the Milky Way, at, past Andromeda, out past the known solar system, Jesus made a journey across all the various universes and made his way to Earth. It's not that idea. He don't have to do that. He's just there. He lives in a whole different dimension. So he doesn't have to take a journey like maybe Baal's gone on a journey. Maybe he's gone far away. That's not God. God is everywhere present so that he appears. He's everywhere present. And, and uh, so he appears here. He appears down the road. And another church has worshipped him out of, out of truth, out of spirit of truth. So he appears so that is the meaning of the word. He, he appears. He appears publicly. Now, I want you to notice because it's important. When, what the Bible says, it says it on purpose. And we don't have to read into it. And we, don't, we, we, we need to read out of it and let it speak for itself. And I've showed you how we have misused words by reading into the words our own concepts of what might be, we might think might be going on. And we do that. And I use those two phrases uh, that I pointed to earlier to show how we do that. So at verse 3 and at verse 30, I'll go ahead and say, if you look at what the, the, the verse says, tell us, when will these things happen? Things, the various things that are going to happen. The wars, the rumors of the war, the earthquakes, the pestilence, nation against nation. When are those things going to happen? And then, now this is important. <clears throat> Don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of this. What will be the sign. What, what was different about that? Singular. Not signs. Not signs. 
in the scriptures, when it talks about the appearance of Christ, does not use the word signs in the plural. It uses the singular signs. And it's an important distinction, which is somehow how we've kind of gotten off because we read all the things that Jesus says, these are not signs. These things will happen. Earthquakes, wars, these things will happen before the end comes. But they are not the sign. What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And, and that's an important distinction. And the Bible uses it on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like a second thought. Now, okay, are, are, is your brain firing? Look at your neighbor and say, I think I'm awake. Taking a deep breath. Don't breathe on anybody. Okay, breathe into your mask. Okay, all right. I say that so that we can get some oxygen firing because this is important. Because this is where you could stumble. All right. Now, most of us have been taught from earliest times, really since I was able to read the scripture. No, no, no. Yeah, read the scripture. Yeah, by the time I was reading the scripture, I was listening to sermons. I went to church all my life. Didn't necessarily mean I was listening to sermons. I was trying to get some candy from my aunt or picking on my brother or drawing. And Vicki wants me to move along from my analogy or my example. <laughs> I thought it was a good point. Okay, so most of us have been taught from earliest times a particular line of thought or a particular teaching on eschatology, the study of the end. I can tell you that scenario pretty much backwards and forwards. Because I was taught it from the time I was able to listen to sermons. And it pretty much was every book I read when I was in Bible college and in my first years of pastorate. And it is what I myself preached for several years. But as I began to study, and as I began to broaden my horizons, I began to look at what the church has taught over the centuries and throughout the world, I realized, wait a minute, something seems askew here. Okay, have I got your attention? So what we have been taught, and we, we generally believe, because it's mostly all we've been taught, is that what's called a pre-tribulation rapture view of eschatology. Do those words mean anything to you? A pre-tribulation rapture theology. Now I'm going to briefly describe it. Now I don't have time to go, I'm not preaching on that. I'm just going to try to describe it just in case anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. You'll have some idea and maybe there'll be a word or two that you go, oh yeah, I, I heard about that. So it involves things like, like a, an apocalypse at the end of the world. It involves something like, like a, sudden, a sudden secret rapture where Christians are called up and raptured out of, out, of the, out of the earth. 
It involves a, a seven-year tribulation period. It, it involves a, an antichrist who rules on the earth. And it involves a great battle called the Armageddon. And it involves a thousand-year reign of Christ. And it, it involves Satan being bound for a thousand years and then at the end of that thousand years being released and then going and making havoc again in the earth. And then it involves a very a great deception of, of humans who were born during that period and a great judgment and a lake of fire. Any of that ring a bell or kind of sound familiar to anybody? Well, it pretty much is what most of us, I would be surprised if not 90% of us have been taught all of our life. And we don't know something different than that. Now we know that there are various views, for instance, like some believe that, that there is a a pre-rapture, a, a pre some believe in a mid-rapture, and some believe in a post-rapture. And so we have various nuances in the particular theory, but at least it's that theory, it's just some various nuances of it. But this is what I need, and, and, and that's okay. That, that is okay. You, I mean, there's no problem with that. You, I mean, there's no foul. Uh, doesn't make you a better Christian or a lesser Christian. But I just need you to understand this because I'm, I, I am a teacher, I am a pastor, and I'm a preacher. So this is a teaching moment. You ever had that moment with your kids? My helper on the front row. Oh, we got a teacher. Okay, this is what you need to understand. And this is very, very important. And this is why you need to be humble about what you think and your points of view. Because there is almost always a, another point of view. And it doesn't mean they're bad or they're wrong. It's just a different point of view. And what we do is we turn around and attack a person and all they had was an opinion about something. Because that's what they know. That's what they thought. That's how, what, their mind, what their mind is put together. So we don't need to cast aspersions or judgments. That's why I'm saying that's okay. I was still, by the grace of God, still going to heaven as I embraced all of that and taught it. But what I come to understand is this, and this is what I want to point out to you, that, uh, that you need to understand that that particular view that you and I were brought up in, that we have been taught, and most of us can regurgitate, I say that in, I don't mean that in a vomiting kind of way, I mean like stated, pretty close to what the, what the scenario is, that for 1,900 years, 1,900 years approximately, out of the 2,000 years of church history, okay, are you with me? Do you get those numbers? Out of 1,900 years approximately, give or take a decade or so, out of the 2,000 years of church history, that has not been taught in the church. Anywhere. Is that startling? <laughs> it might be. It probably comes as a surprise because if you turn on the TV, you're not going to hear that. Because almost 100% of everything preached on TV is the message that you and I have been taught. Because it comes out of a particular 
systematic theology and out of a seminary that largely dominates probably 90% of all the teaching that's on TV. And it is out of a Reformed Calvinistic view. There are some significant Pentecostal teachers that, that have joined in with that. And there are individual teachers and preachers within various schools of thought that teach it. But this is what I want, and, and, and that's okay. My dad, who's 87 years old, who has preached his entire adult life, teaches it. This is how I learned it. He taught it to me, and I could almost give it to you verbatim. But it comes out of a particular stream. And before the 1900s, it wasn't known in the church. So the concept, the concept of a secret rapture of the body of Christ is a completely absent concept of the church, of the whole church, for almost its whole existence. Now, if you've never heard that, that can be startling. If you've never been taught that, you can like, I never heard that. I know. That's why I'm saying it. So if you, are, if, you, if you have grabbed hold of something that has not been taught in almost the entire history of the church, 1,900 out of the 2,000 years it's existed, it would at least give you pause to say, hmm, what is that? Wouldn't it? Just as a guess. So, now this, this is important too. Now, we don't embrace hardly any of these denominational names I'm going to throw at you. But when I say it hasn't been taught or believed throughout the whole history of the church age, except for like the last hundred years. And, you ready for the second? Only in the United States. I mean, these are big things. Who started what? John Darby, a guy by the name of John Darby in Edinburgh, England. That wasn't part of my notes, but John, because I wouldn't want to go there. John Darby in, in uh, the late 18, 18, say 1883 in Edinburgh, England, uh, uh, postulated the scenario. And it came across the ocean and was embraced by the leadership of Dallas Theological Seminary. And from there, various professors and teachers began to teach it to their pastors, and it just proliferated through the American culture. It is not taught in the Roman Catholic Church. I didn't expect a gasp right there. It is not taught in the churches of Western Europe. It is not taught at all in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Coptic Church of Egypt, the Orthodox Churches of Russia, Ethiopia, Greece, Romania, Siberia, Ukraine, and any other churches in the Eastern Bloc of the world. Basically, anywhere where Christianity has gone for 1,900 years throughout the whole world, in all of its history, except for the last hundred years in the United States, is that understood? Was it even thought of or taught? And that's not heresy, because it totally 
embraces the, the beauty and the deity of Jesus. So it's not askew. You, you're fine. You're fine. I'm just trying to let you see that it's, that it's bigger than we are. It's not a bad thing. It's just not currently believed by most of the Christians who are on the planet Earth. But it is believed by many Christians in the United States. In the United States, this is important too, uh, I gave you some, some global churches, and, and these are global churches as well, they just are more prominent in the United States. It's not taught in the Lutheran church, it's not taught in the Methodist church, it's not taught in the Episcopal church, and let me give you a big hello, it's not taught in the church of the Nazarene. I know that's a shock. But it is not taught by any prominent church you can basically name. Except there are some uh, individuals within various schools of thought who buy into the idea and teach it. I did it myself. I was still an honest, God-fearing, serious student of the scripture. But I just didn't know this. I didn't know that we were the only ones teaching this in the history of the church throughout the world. And that rattled my cage. So let me tell you, uh, you, you don't have to change your thoughts on it. You don't have to change your position, but I want to be a good teacher and say, by the way, you just need to know this. It's like, you can eat cake or not eat cake. If you want to eat cake, Vicky will say, just go right ahead. But someone would say, don't eat cake because that has sugar in it. And I would go, no, 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 Don't make me a bad person, okay? But let me tell you what every church throughout the history of the world and every country in the world throughout the ages of the church embrace. And this you can bank your life on. There are all kinds, now this is not the statement, there are all kinds of scenarios about the end of the age and how it's all going to unfold. But there is this statement. You'll recognize it. Christ will return and will judge the living and the dead. That is what you can fully, wholeheartedly embrace and not be askew at all. That statement was hammered out first because as the church was getting these gospels, you see, the Bible wasn't put together until three something, 300 and some years after Christ was born. So they had these texts and they were putting them together and building a Bible to pass down to the generations. So as they were hammering out the faith, there were scholarly men gathered together in various places and they would hammer out what the church believes and in 325 A.D., they hammered out for the church because there was all kinds of heresies going on at the time. They hammered out the Nicene Creed, which was written in 325 A.D. It was, it was further approved by the Apostles' Creed, written in 309 A.D. So in the third century of the church, this statement was written down, it was affirmed, and it has been confessed by the church 
from that time forward. So, what is the sign then? If all those other things are not the sign, and you can write your own book about what you think the sign is. <clears throat> so what is the sign of the appearing of the Son of Man in the end of the age? That's what the disciples ask in that verse, Matthew chapter 24. Then what is the sign? If these things are not the sign, even the destruction of Jerusalem and the tearing down of the temple, then what will be the sign? Then what are we to look for? All those things are not the sign of the end. So what is it that we're looking for? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says explicitly. You don't have to guess. You don't have to come up with some kind of fanciful kind of description. And it is this. Plainly put, the second coming of Christ. Now, when I say that, I know that in the premillennial rapture view, there is a secret coming of Christ, and then there's a second coming of Christ. I understand that. But when I say the second coming of Christ, I mean what the Bible says the second coming of Christ will be public. It'll be public. It will not be secret. It will be open for everyone to see. And it will be visible in the whole world. When he came as a babe born in Bethlehem, he came veiled in flesh. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate, enfleshed deity. But when he comes the second time, he will come with resplendent glory and power. Matthew says, in Matthew 23 and verse 26, His coming, His appearing, will be like lightning that flashes across the sky, the whole sky. Everybody within hundreds of miles can see that large flash. And that's what Matthew is saying. When He comes, it's going to be like lightning striking in the sky. It's just going to, He's just going to appear. And every eye will see, and every TV camera, ABC, NBC, MSBC, uh, whatever else there is, Fox News, every camera will turn skyward, and, and the little person over in a little hut over in, in Ethiopia has a cell phone, and they're going to get a beep, a warning sign, some kind of emergency signal, and they look at it and go, my goodness, what is this? This might be what Christians have talked about, the second coming of Christ. And the trumpet will sound. There will be an appearing. He's not going to travel across the universes. He's going to appear because he's already here. He will just manifest somewhere around Jerusalem on the eastern sky. But every TV camera, every satellite will pick it up and it will be broadcast across the globe. The trumpet will sound and the dead will rise in resurrection. And then we who are alive will go out. <coughs> See, <clears throat> Let me give you this explanation. When, when, when Paul talks about, in Thessalonians, that, that we will be caught up to meet the Lord, what he's saying is we will go out to meet the Lord. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's the meaning of the word, that we will go out to meet the Lord. And Paul was talking about the events that happened in his own time, that's all he could understand. So he writes, it's like when the emperor comes from a, from a far journey and he's been on a military conquest and he's coming back as a, a, a conquering uh, uh, lord, a conquering king, he comes back and trumpets are blown and, and the, the, the guards on the gate say, the king's coming, the king is coming. So the, they open the door and, and the people of the city go out and, 
and meet him out in the, out in the street, out in the open way, out in the gate and, and welcome the king in. That's what he's talking about. Jesus will appear and there will be some kind of revelation. The trumpet will sound, the, the angels will shout, uh, there'll be a broadcast, everybody will see it and the saints will go, this is it, this is it. The Lord comes, the Lord comes. will be an amazing thing. So Matthew is writing to people who have seen Jerusalem fall. He's writing to see people who have seen the temple crumble to the ground, thrown to the ground. And he gives three parables. I don't have time to go through all those parables. I'll just name them. The ten, the ten bridegrooms, the ten talents, and the sheep of the goat. Now, of course, he's recording Jesus. So the question is not, you see, because they were asking with most sincerity, where is he at? Our lives are being destroyed. Our families are being killed. They're being hung. They're being put on posts. They're being burnt like torches. Where is he at? Why is he delaying? We're in grave danger. You see, when you're the one suffering, you're, you're crying out. See, it's no, it's no big deal to us because we're, we're not. Where is he coming? And Peter talks about that in 2 Peter 3.3. 3. So the question that Matthew was trying to address is not that you're having to wait. You're having to wait. And we can't tell you why we are waiting. He said these things are going to happen. But he said those are not the sign. The, he will give a sign. It will be a sign. And the sign will be when he appears. So the question Matthew, that Jesus gives to us through Matthew, through Mark, through Luke is that if you're going to have to wait, then how do you wait? That's the question for you and me. How then do we wait? The admonition is, don't be caught off guard. Don't be because he's... he's and Jesus gave these parables and examples. Who, who, who gave his stewards resources and he went away and he came back and the steward had squandered his resources. So what he's saying is, don't squander your resources. Don't get slack. Don't get, your, don't get off, off guard. Don't get your eyes off the prize. <coughs> Remember, use your gifts and resources wisely as a faithful steward of your life. You're going to give an account of your life, and he's going to show up, and, and we're going to meet him. So continue the mission of Jesus. Continue the mission of God in the world. And what is that? To bear witness to he's coming, and that God has reconciled the world to himself through his son Jesus, and to call others to salvation to seek out and, and, and to help work in cooperation with God the salvation of the lost and the blind. So as Jesus was in the world, so ought we to be in, uh, in the world, busy about the Father's business. So let me close. Remember Jesus when he was 12 years old and his mother and father were scolding him a little bit for just disappearing, and he said, don't you know that I've got to be about my father's business? Among the things that you do, let it be said of you that you are about your father's business. And it can be, it can be take shape in many kinds of ways. But keeping foremost in your thinking that you do have a heavenly father, and God is making his appeal to the world through you. That's astonishing. And you're a living letter. You're a, you're a living epistle. And God is speaking to those around you. Not everyone will listen, but some will. So 
your energies. Think about this. How are they used? Your gifts and your talents, how are they used? Your resources, how are they used? We absolutely do not know when Christ is coming back. We do not know the hour. There is not a particular sign that says, oh, get ready now because there's a sign. He is the sign. His appearing is the sign that the end of the age is here. This is what the scripture says. So, the church throughout its history has confessed this and believed it. Many, many, many have believed and made preparation. They have made sure there is oil in their lamp. The oil of the Holy Spirit. They've made sure that they have used the master's resources to the best of their ability. They have served. They have given. They have lived with the promise of God as though it's in the present moment. And many saints have gone on before us. And they looked for a day when their Savior would come. Well, He came. He came to meet them when they crossed Jordan. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died for my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, He'll be waiting for me. So when Joyce closed her eyes and breathed her last, last breath, I can almost guarantee you, unless Jesus just out of graciousness let Pete show up, you know, but he was there. I love this hymn. It's called When He Shall Come. When he shall come, resplendent in his glory, to take his own from out this veil of night, oh, may I know the joy of his appearing, only at morn to walk with him in white. When he shall call from earth's remotest corners all who have stood triumphant in his might, oh, to be worthy then to stand beside them and in that morning to walk with him in white. When I shall stand within the courts of heaven, where white-robed pilgrims pass before my sight. Earth's martyred saints and blood-washed overcomers, these, then, are they who walk with him in white. So are you ready for that day to come? Sure as we live, he will return. As sure as you live, you will meet him. That's the thing. Whether on good terms or not good terms, you're going to meet him. Better to make preparation now. Better to be ready now. Not in some kind of fear. I don't even want, that's not even a lasting kind of a thing. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I, whatever whatever it takes. Far better to be, a, a, to be fearful and make your way into the kingdom than not get there. But because you realize God loves you, so much that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, to demonstrate to you and to me how much he loves you. And to know that thousands upon thousands and millions and millions have trusted him for salvation, waiting for that day to come. 
Jesus to sing says, are you ready for that day to come? If you would just bow your heads with me. Lord, you always said today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If anyone hears my voice, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Jesus, you are the water of life. You are life itself. This morning, this day, as we close this service, we invite you. We welcome you. As the early church in the first century cried out with a conviction that we don't know about, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We still say it. We don't live under the conditions they did. But we have read about it. We see the trauma in our own world. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. And though you're, you're appearing, if it should be delayed, and we don't see it in our lifetime, we invite you to come and take up residence in our life here and now. As we make preparation to see you sooner or later. Hear our prayer. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Surrounding me, let it break at your name. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.